Hey everyone, and welcome back to Skipper. Today, I'm joined by Patti Hinich, a world-renowned chef and TV personality. She began her professional career as a political analyst, but eventually followed her passion for cooking. Patti jumped ship from her analyst position, and in 2007 started her own cooking show, Mexican Table which focused on exposing viewers to Mexican cuisine through both tasting dinners and live cooking demonstrations. After the release of Mexican Table, Patti quickly gained publicity, which eventually led to the beginning of her now famous PBS series, Patti's Mexican Table. Today, Patti's Mexican Table gets around 28 million viewers and is starting on its ninth season It has received accolades, including three James Beard Awards for Best TV Program in 2020 and 2019, and for Outstanding Host in 2018. The show was also nominated for three Daytime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Culinary Host and Outstanding Culinary Series. Pathy's Mexican Table is streamed on PBS and Amazon Prime. In addition to all of this, Pathy has also written and published two cookbooks, which have done very well and are being sold at large retailers across the country. Bati, your introduction says it all. I'm so excited to have you. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Alex. I'm, I'm just um, listening to you say those things and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Like it's been, <laughs> you know, like one just gets, um, you dive in the water and you're swimming and swimming and swimming and you don't take a second to come out and take a little water and see where you're at, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so let's get to it. The first question is, just tell everyone about yourself before all of the cooking and the success that you've garnered over the past years. What were you up to and what was consuming most of your time? I trained as a political analyst, Alex, that I wanted to be able to write about issues that I really cared about, like the strengthening of democratic institutions and how to make a better and stronger civic culture in Mexico. And then when I moved to the U.S., I really wanted to find ways to build bridges between the two countries and explore about the Mexican diaspora. And so I was really consumed in finishing my degree, I I finished political science. And instead of just graduating, I decided to do very academic thesis. And then I did a master's. And then my dream was to work in a think tank, which I did once we moved to to Washington, D.C., which was doing what I could for the causes that I cared about. And I used to see life like as a path where you take a step that leads you to a next step that leads you to a next step. And once I got to that position in the think tank, um, which I thought was my dream job, I realized how unhappy I was professionally. And I mean, after thinking about it for a long time, I think it was was like two years, I decided to just resign. By then, I had two kids, my oldest boys, Alan and Sammy. And I was consumed between being a mother and trying to take the steps for, for my professional career. And I realized that 
whatever I was doing, I just wanted to have my boy see it as an example because I was just so unhappy professionally. And since I'm typically a very happy, optimistic person, the two things just didn't come together. And so I decided to resign and take a plunge and jump into cooking, which I was terrible at, but I wanted to do um, food writing rather than, than political analysis. So I decided that I was so unhappy, Alex, with my professional career that um, taking such a big jump into the unknown couldn't be worse than where I was. Yeah. So I'm interested to know how exactly you came up with this idea for a cooking show. Was it something that you had always wanted or was it something that was more spontaneous? How did that idea sort of materialize? It was really accidental. I mean, it was, I mean, I jumped ship, as, as you say. I took a leap of faith and decided that I really wanted to do food writing rather than political analysis. That's what I thought I wanted to do. Instead of writing about politics and democratic institutions and civic culture, I felt that nobody was reading, you know, what I was writing and that all these ideas... Um, were being circulated again and again without making an impact. And so I have always been fascinated with food and I come from a family of chefs and cooks and, and I just wanted to help tell stories through the lens of food. And so I decided to go into culinary school because being a very academic-driven person and loving research I thought that if I wanted to do food writing, I needed to have the technical chops to do it. I wanted to have solid foundation from where to speak. But so I enrolled in culinary school at night because I had small kids and I didn't want to leave them during the day because I felt like I had been working for so long, you know. And I didn't go into cooking school because I wanted to have a cooking show. I went into cooking school because I wanted to have the knowledge of how to do food writing right. And I started writing and I started pitching articles to magazines and newspapers. And I started teaching Mexican cooking, which I mean, I was obsessed with Mexican cooking and I wanted to help break myths and preconceptions about Mexicans in the U.S. and who Mex Mexicans are and what we look like and what we eat and, and, and where we're from. And I wanted to show how diverse and rich the world of Mexicans is north and south of the border. And I started teaching cooking like to friends and then I had the opportunity to propose a culinary program to the Mexican Cultural Institute in D.C. where there weren't cooking classes. And, and once I did that, I mean, it was just going to be small cooking classes, Alex, just like I was doing for friends. And, and it had to do with themes that I really was passionate about, like the Mexican cooking in different historical times, the Mexican cooking during the revolution, Mexican cooking north of the border, Mexican cooking, you know, like with the historical lens. And in order to fill the seats of the classes that I started teaching, and then once I started doing radio and TV, I realized how much I loved telling stories and, and sort of the path started going in that direction um, when I realized that there weren't any Mexicans doing Mexican cooking on TV. I wondered why aren't there any Mexican cooks, you know, teaching Mexican cooking? 
And so sort of the path, when you look in hindsight, it seems that it was more organized. But to be honest, it was completely chaotic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was, I really wanted to shine a light on Mexican cuisine and culture and show who we Mexicans are. But 12 years later, now I'm obsessed with Mexicans north of the border and with Latinos in the U.S. And that's because I've been in the U.S. many more years. I have kids that were born here. I have a Mexican-American family. I've experienced more, you know, the different lives and stories of Mexicans in America. And I'm obsessed with the evolution of Mexican food in the U.S. So, Pati, in preparation for this interview, I read over your website, which I'll link in the description. And I also watched some of your interviews that are up online. And interestingly, I noticed that both on your website and in many interviews, you talk about this existential crisis that you had when working as a political analyst, describing how you were unhappy and you really wanted to pursue cooking, but were very hesitant about leaving your job. And then in both your website and in interviews, you talk about when you finally took what you called this plunge into cooking full-time. And I know you've addressed it a little already, but I'm wondering if you can describe that plunge that you talk about and walk me and the listeners through what it meant for you to fully leave your life as a political analyst and entirely throw yourself into this unknown world of cooking. I think that your question is so insightful, Alex, because... um, it really felt to me like a plunge. I mean, I did no research, you know? I mean, for all of my careful planning, all of those years of what college to go to, you know, to do political science, to do a thesis, I did research three years, and then which masters to do, and then what classes to take, and then what think tanks to work in, and then You know, like I had that path that I thought needed to be so organized. And when I, when I switch careers, I, I say, and you're right, I say that, that I took a plunge because I had no preparation of how to jump in that water. You know, I didn't know if it was going to be cold or hot or if I knew how to swim or, you know, and I feel there were many, many things that led me to make that irrational decision. And one of them was that I was pregnant with Juju. And when women are pregnant, we get very hormonal and impulsive. (laughs) We tend to make like, I, I mean, I think maybe speaking for myself, you know, like I was pregnant with my third. Um, I was feeling very emotional. I was really not liking what I was doing for my job. I didn't want to disappoint my kids, you know, Alan Sammy with I with what I was doing and I felt like, "Oh my gosh, and I have this third one coming along the way and I want to be a, a good example for them. Like I don't want to teach them to follow an organized path. I want to teach them to dream and to try new things." And so it was more thinking about them and the example that I want wanted to give them rather than how I had planned the life for me that really led me looking back like I had never seen it 
this way, you know, that I'm telling you now, but I, it was, it was really because I wanted to be a bold, courageous example for them that I decided to, to take that plunge. And I wanted them to be proud about their mother, you know, when they grew up. One of my grandfathers always said that when you leave this earth, the only thing you leave is your name, you know? So what do you want that name to carry? And so I always think of anything and everything that I want, that I do, I want to be able to look back and be proud and think, oh, it was the best that I could do. But mostly, what will my name be attached to? Because, you know, your kids will carry your name too. And as if it, as if that wasn't more pressure. Right. But <laughs> so when I took the plunge, I think it was out of desperation. You know, I want to do these things that I really love. I'm going to try. I didn't even know if I was going to be good cooking or not because mm -hmm. I knew I was a great eater, but not cooking. But um, that's why I, I always tell people like, if there's something that you want to do, don't do too much research because if I had researched about it, Alex, if I had known where I was going to end up in, I just, I wouldn't have done it, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I say taking the plunge is because I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. And so I always say, you know, like jump in the water and you're going to find out how cold or hot it was once you're in. Yeah. But if you... If you put in like your little toe in there, you're not going to want to jump. Right, right. So, <laughs> Patti, this is the real reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast. This next question is much more serious than the questions I've asked you so far. So, if you had to pick one recipe from your now nine seasons of the show and multiple cookbooks, which one would you say is the one that we all just have to try at home? Oh my gosh, Alex, this is the most horrible question you <laughs> asked me. Um, I have to say, and this is going to sound very disappointing to you probably, because the, the food that I love the most is the simplest, mm -hmm. the messiest, the most humble, and the one that I grew up eating and that I make a ton for my kids. There's this dish called fideo seco or pasta seca. Okay. Which is which is like Mexican style pasta, um, but we cook pasta in these like chipotle, you know, dried chili sauce, and we overcook the pasta to an extent that would make any Italian embarrassed and or angry. But it's a very traditional Mexican dish, and I love that dish for many reasons. I love it because. It's messy and delicious and feeling and homey and it speaks of family to me, but it also helps break myths about Mexican food. Like fideo seco is a dish that is eaten in every Mexican home, but it's not tacos and it involves pasta. Right. Like right. It has a foreign ingredient, you know, yeah. but I think it shines a light on how Mexican cuisine is a cuisine of mestizaje, of like interwoven cultures and cuisines and and it helps put into perspective that Mexico is made of 
you know, native Mexicans and Spanish and Africans and Asians and Italians and Jews. And, you know, it just opens a door to, to say, oh, there's a lot more to Mexico than guacamole and tacos. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And as a Latinx person myself, I can tell you that it's also good to hear, you know, that it's not all just tacos and burritos, but we actually have this whole cuisine that I feel many Americans definitely have yet to uncover. So if you had to pick the three qualities or characteristics that you possess that you think have led to your success as a chef and TV personality, what do you think they would be and why? Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) The first one for sure. And I wouldn't know if to call it persistence or stubbornness. But that is a characteristic that really defines me and has defined my professional path. I'm very, very, very persistent. Very, very, very stubborn. I think it would be more persistence, but stubborn too. Um, But then the second thing that goes attached to that is I'm incredibly enthusiastic about that thing, which I'm stubborn or persistent about you know I so in thinking about the things that I've done you know the cookbooks or each season of my show is like to make each one happen it's like every season is just as incredibly hard to pull together as the last one you know but I come at it again and it surprises myself how enthusiastic I get about these new region of Mexico, these new sets of challenges, these new, you know, for example, this season we went to Sonora, which is the deep north. Last season we went to Sinaloa, which is like El Chapo land. Like it was unthinkable to take a food show to the place that Americans know as Narcos land, you know, but I was like, oh, we're going to do it. Like, we're going to do it. And when like yeah. my production team didn't want to come to Sinaloa because they were worried about, you know, the cartels and the narcos and the what they see, the, the just one side of the reality of that place, I remember telling them, like, I'm just going to go down there with my iPhone and feel myself, you know? So I think it's that persistence and stubbornness. But it is not just because or for whatever. It is because... I'm really enthusiastic. And the third thing which goes attached to this is I'm insanely curious about the things that I don't know and that I want to know. So I think it's those three things Mm -hmm. that have driven me. It's the ridiculous amount of curiosity, you know, the enthusiasm and the persistence or stubbornness. I think those those three things. So, Patti, I think it's undeniable, and I said this in the introduction as well, but it's really just undeniable how well you're doing and how you're becoming more and more of of a household name. I mean, 28 million viewers on your shows, you're verified on Instagram, so you also have a social media following. It's clear that you're becoming fairly well-known, and along with all that fame, I'm assuming that there must be also many critics. So how do you deal with those people and what sort of methods have you found to be most helpful to block out that noise? Of course. I mean, I think I 
and really try not to take things personal to begin with. So for example, things that I get comments about, one big thing is my accent, you know? Like I've gotten messages about, oh, the heavy accent or we can't understand what you're saying or, you know, and like my response has always been when I've gotten those kinds of comments or feedback or emails, I always respond with, you know, I'm so sorry. My accent is such a bother and, and that's who I am, but please stick with me. You know, I'm going to grow on you, you know, for the recipes or for the content or for, and I find that when people are aggressive or when people criticize you and you respond in an aggressive or defensive way, it just feeds the fire and you're going to fight. But when somebody is aggressive and you respond with kindness, right, you know, kind of like from, from thinking that, you know, this person is saying that not because they want to bother me, but because that's what they know or that's what they're thinking. So you, you, I respond with like giving people the benefit of a doubt, you know, and then it turns out that when you respond with kindness, people respond back, like just, just as kind, you know, it's never happened to me that I respond like this and that I get another negative thing, but I'll get something like, if I say, I'm so sorry about my accent, but you know, there's really nothing I can do about it. You know, I try to learn better English, but (laughs) as the years go by, my English doesn't improve and my Spanish worsens, you know? Um, So I, I find that when you respond in a humble, honest manner, like there's no way that people can escalate the aggression. But on the contrary, they realize they they reached out to a person who's just as human as they are, and then you can connect. Awesome. All right, two more questions. So I've heard many people say that when you set your mind to something, the world conspires to make it happen. So do you believe in that? And In what ways do you think you've experienced it? Or in what ways do you not agree with that statement? Um, I think that's a great quote. But I don't think that the world conspires to make it happen. I think that when you set your mind to something, it is you who, in a way, finds a way to unlock the doors. Like you're helping the world conspire to help you. I, I, I... totally believe it's true that you have to have faith in yourself in your I think for me having work or having what you do be of substance and have a mission that goes beyond it helps what you do have more will make it have more endurance and que va a perdurar más tiempo like I've never wanted to do things that would be amazing in the short term. You know, like I've made decisions throughout these years where I could have taken an easier path or it would have been like, oh, I could have become, you know, more of a household name or I could have make it, but it had to do with my, in a way, corrupting who I was, you know, like changing my accent changing my looks, like not doing Mexican cooking. Like at every turn, I, I had options or offers or whatever to do things that just 
weren't me or I wasn't going to be proud about them. And at every turn, I said no, you know, to things that I wouldn't feel proud about the next day. All right, Patti, last question here, or really two-part question. As you know, this podcast is all about sharing stories that can inspire and help to guide the younger generation to find their passion and really pursue and go after it. So first part of the question is, what sort of advice would you give to high schoolers, college students, really anyone who hasn't found that passion and are still searching for it? Okay, the first, the the response to that one, and I think it's fundamental, I would say, don't look for that passion. Don't, because if you, if you're trying to put your focus on finding that one passion, you're not going to let yourself experience things and make mistakes and you will not be forgiving to yourself. I think that in order to be able to find the things that you're going to be great at, you have to take off the pressure that you need to find that one thing that is your passion. I think that it'll find you if you try to find the things that you can contribute to this world in, where there's something that isn't being done or where you could do something to feel that misconception or you could do something, find something that you feel is lacking, where there is a need, where you can be of service, of help, or and then you will find that you're passionate in that because there can't be something that you're passionate about that lives in a vacuum within yourself it puts too much pressure on you you know like yeah. if you have to find that one passion then you can't let yourself find that passion and also passion is not a static thing like being passionate about what you do is an evolving thing you know as we were saying like maybe there's a person who's obsessed with baking but then it turns out that they love being landscaping you know Mm -hmm. and the two things correlate but locking your life to something at such an early age can seem daunting and then it'll freeze you on your tracks you'll psych yourself out you know like it, it can be too panicking if you think that you need to find that one thing because you can be passionate about many things so try to i would say don't focus on finding that one thing try to find the things that you can help that you can feel avoid in and then slowly you know you will start taking the the steps towards what you will do yeah so second part of the question is what advice do you give to those people who have found their passion and know what they want to do but are hesitant to start and really to take that plunge that you talk about so much well, if you find something that you absolutely are super enthusiastic about and something that you know that it is your calling, then then I think they're incredibly lucky, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I would just say you have nothing to lose. If you if you wanna look for a metaphor that I can connect to because it relates to food, is there's nothing that you can't cook that you know wouldn't work in its way into a taco like things don't need to be perfect so if like something doesn't turn out 
the way it's meant to be, just warm a tortilla, throw it in there and eat a taco. Like yeah. things don't have to be perfect at every turn. And I feel like your and my kids' generation have a lot of pressure in that every step, every decision, every has to be stellar. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's too much pressure. And we're all human and you're here today and you're not here tomorrow. So just think about, you know, like your name, like what do you be, as my grandfather said, you know, the only thing you leave when you leave this earth is your name. And what do you want your name to be attached to? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the most amazing things or the owner of these or the owner of that because people don't care, you know? Yeah. 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 Anyway, that didn't make sense, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, Patti, that's, those are all the questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, o sea, no te puedo agradecer. Oh, like... no. Okay. Gracias, Patti. Awesome. Ciao. Bye. Once again, everyone, that was Patti Hinich world-renowned chef and TV personality. Make sure to check out her website, which is linked in the description. I hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to follow us at skipper.podcast for any updates and more information on our guests. Thanks for listening.